This is part two of the American CAS conversation series. Uh, my name is Kendriana, and um, if you watched the first video, then you know that we uh, talked about the, um, the episode was called The Dinner Party, and we talked about how capitalism impacts our livelihoods and um, how it impacts our lives politically as well. And we just talked about uh, some of the basics of capitalism. Um, there are other things um, that you can call it. There are um, capitalism is collect, uh, connected to many things like fascism, um, uh, capitalist liberalism, corporatism. Just assume that we're talking about all of that <laughs> uh, when we're talking about castle, capitalism. I know there are many ways you can say it, but bear with us. We just want to keep things as simple as possible. Um, so today, um, this episode is called uh, the dinner party and we're going to talk about how capitalism um the implications implications of capitalism in our social lives and how it impacts our the way we use the internet and our social media and our relationships and our neighborhoods and society as a whole um i actually everyone's on the west coast today um so i have porter with me who i believe is in la proper and um, Casey as well, who lives in the Bay Area. Um, thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, so I just want you both to introduce yourselves. Um, Casey will go ahead and uh, start with you. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what you do, who you are, where you're from, how you make money. Okay. Um, well, I'm Casey, and um, let's see, what do I, I'm, I'm from the Bay Area, I'm originally from Alameda, um, and which is a neighbor, it's like a, a little smaller town, it's still a lot bigger, I mean, this is California after all, um, a, smart, a smaller city next to um, Oakland, Oakland just right across the way, and then uh, obviously San Francisco is right across the Bay Bridge. Um, so... Um, let's see, what do I do? Well, right now I am a burlesque dancer, primarily. I'm also a barista and that's what I do for money. I live in a van because I can no longer afford the um, place that I have grown up in and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but right now I'm mostly an artist do it, trying to do love <laughs> every day and still make uh, means um, which is not easy, but <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. And yeah, we will get there. Uh, so Porter, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name's Michael Lorenzo Porter. I guess I should use my full uh, name. And I work as a literary coordinator for the NAACP. Um, on the side, I conduct interviews of various artists and people like that. Um, I write fiction, and I am trying to, at the moment, uh, get some materials and get some things together for, uh, for an art show in August. So I'm kind of all over the place and super busy, and I, I like to make stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, <laughs> thank you. I actually met Porter um, in real life. <laughs> I met Porter at a zine making workshop at a bookstore. I had no idea you worked for the NAACP. Um, <laughs> I need oh, to, wow. yeah. I, cool. I need to do better. I don't have work. Yes. 
<laughs> that's the first time I'm knowing this, but that's awesome. Um, let's go ahead and get, get into everything. Um, because, um, we live in a capitalist society and Casey has to go to work. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I really want to pick up on where we left off in the last episode with, um, Celeste and Kat. We did not get to talk about housing and I would really like to start off at, at that point. Um, so, um, Porter, you can go ahead and start, um, just to get straight into it. Uh, do you think that this country is experiencing um, a widespread housing crisis? And have you seen housing access and the housing industry change your, your community at all? Yes. Um, to, to answer that generally, yes. Um, I've seen uh, things change quite a bit here. You know, I'm from, like you said, LA proper. Uh, which I would consider to be a place like Mid-City. Um, even if you go a little south and west, that's Kohler City. And from the time when I was, I'd say, really young, so like 23, 22, 21, uh, now 31, 32, um, the prices have you know, pretty much doubled uh, in terms of what you can afford uh, uh, as a person. It's a little bit easier, I guess, if you have a roommate type situation, but um, here in LA, uh, it's definitely gotten more and more, more and more expensive as the, it seems like you want to say years, but it feels like months go by and apartments become uh, less accessible, uh, less affordable. Um, and the areas that you want to live in are not really uh, plausible. I guess, unless you have, like a lot of people I know, um, two and three and sometimes four jobs. So you're living in these places where you're, uh, you know, you feel safer, I guess, or whatever it is, or, you know, but you're never really there to enjoy it. You're never really able to still access the, the place you live in because you're constantly paying for living. Um, so that's sort of what I've noticed in, in general in terms of the, the, the housing situation here. Do you think that, um, so you said people pick places based on, I guess, perceived safety. Um, is perceived. that, okay. So, okay. Perceived. So you agree. So are they, are they technically safe? Do you see like where you sit at your intersection? Uh, do you think that there's a way to feel safer? depending on how much money you spend in LA in terms of where you live. Because um, since I've moved, I don't live in LA proper. I live in the suburbs, okay? <laughs> so I live like, you know, 30 minutes to an hour outside the city, um, depending on traffic. Um, but I've noticed, you know, when looking for places, everyone says, you know, oh, well, this is the good neighborhood and this is the bad neighborhood. It's just not safe there. Um, so, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, can, are these areas somewhere, somewhere safer? Can you really, as a person of color, pay for your safety? Well, that's, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think you can, and that's an interesting way to put it because, you know, earth is dangerous. Um, I can walk down the street and I can get shot anywhere on earth. It doesn't really matter where I go. You know, I have that that uh 
uh, that ability, you know, is always there. You know, when you see police, if you're in the car, you, you turn, you go the other way. You don't really try and think about, uh, you know, well, I could talk to them or this. Just avoid them uh, at all costs. So paying for your safety is not really something that I, I think is possible. I think people feel like if they go to different places, they'll be more safe. Money and, you know, fences everywhere, you know, stuff like that. You, you pay for it because it gives you the perception of safety, but I don't think it's real. Um, I think it happened at any time, and I think thinking that it you're safer somewhere is, is it's, you know, it's false. You have to be smart, and you have to understand that you know, this world sucks generally. <laughs> okay. Um, well, um, uh, Casey, I'd like to, you know, I see you, you know, I can tell you got something to say. <laughs> so um, could you answer that question for me? Tell me your thoughts on the subject. On particularly being safe? Um, not and, uh, the original question, and I can read it again if you'd like. Um, please do, yes. Do you think um, in this country we're experiencing a widespread housing crisis? And how have you seen housing access and the housing industry uh, change in your community. And a, a follow-up question would be, what do you feel about all of those people since you did said, since you did say you're living mobily right now, what do you feel about all those people who yeah. say, well, you could just fix it and you just need to relocate. You know, if it's too expensive, you just need to move. Right. Well, uh, man, what a colonized mentality that is. Um, <laughs> Um, to me, that, I mean, even just people th thinking about how, like, there aren't so many implications um, around kicking, people's out, keeping, kicking people and generations out of households that they've been living in for so, so long, and even just, like, the land that we're on, how, you know, like, the first gentrification was just white, white people coming over here and colonizing the land um, and taking it away from indigenous um, folks who have been living there who are born out of the soil itself um, and with, it, with whatever mythologies they have um, that describe their first stories of being the first uh, folks on this land. Um, but boy, yeah, things have definitely changed from, you know, all, all the way from that generation to now especially too, and um, even from the time my lifespan of being um, in the Bay Area. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. It's definitely um, fueled by the technology industry. Uh, San Francisco is a huge tech bubble, um, and that kind of started in like the like late 80s, early 90s. Um, and uh, like Google is a huge thing. We have like Silicon Valley. It attacked San Jose um, earlier on, and people have been becoming more and more displaced as time goes on. And now it's just even more so a crisis where like not only is the house expensive but the cost of living just by getting food and um this and that and the other is also uh like inflating where um whereas our minimum wage still stays at a pretty low um number it's not livable you know the we we won the fight for 15 and as it slowly gets up to 15 so inflation also uh, rises with it, so it really cancels out any sort mm -hmm. of um, um, idea that fifteen dollars is actually a livable wage. Right, right. Um, if we're really looking, 
we're really looking at it, it would be well over, you know, $25, maybe even like $32 to potentially be able to live in um, the Bay Area and be, and have food and be able to pay rent and, you know, still um, do the things you need to do. Um, so I guess like what I've seen a lot more of, um, even lately, I've been like seeing um, cars from the middle uh, of America, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, I've never, growing up, I've never really seen too much of that. And there's just um, a lot more people around who are navigating this area that don't seem, that never seem to be from here. I know I go out to like, you know, some bars or even just like, you know, other trainings and it's very rare that I meet a local. It's now become a, hmm. a, a common um, sort of interaction when it's, oh, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the area. What? Oh, that's, wow, okay. Tell me about yourself. You know, it's a surprise okay. when people say that they're from the Bay area. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it, and how this is affecting here is there's a huge increase in homelessness. Um, homelessness it uh, has um, is everywhere. It's under almost every freeway overpass. It's under it's it's in plain sight on fields and um, uh, empty parking lots. And in, there are it's it's amazing too because there's actually a lot of advocacy in creating housing for homeless, there's this place called The Village in um, East Oakland, where they come together and are legitimately building houses and a fence around this one um, field that has been abandoned for quite some time. And it's all, you know, funded by folks of the community. And um, it's a pretty miraculous um, project. There's also First They Came for the Homeless, which um, they do a lot of advocacy for home rights and getting uh, portable bathrooms so that, you know, there's not mm -hmm. so much of an issue with, you know, going on the streets and um, creating more, um, you know, more uh, potential complaints for people who are not really from here and don't understand what's really going on. Mm -hmm. um, but this also affects students. Um, you know, UC Berkeley is actually raising homeless students um, and also the elderly. Um, these are communities that, uh, when we think about the housing crisis, it's very rarely considered like elderly homes where people are, you know, trying to live in the place that they've been living for several years. And now all of a sudden when they're, you know, 85 and struggling to pay off medical bills as it is that they have to leave their home, it's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, uh, it's becoming so much of an issue where the studies have shown, there's, or have shown that like, half of the California or um, Bay Area residents are planning on moving out. And okay. That's, that's so, ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah. So a lot of people are moving, but the most vulnerable people are just becoming homeless. Um, I find it mm -hmm. really interesting that, I mean, to say just move, is it comes from a place of privilege um, because one, it's expensive to move. It's very expensive to move. Um, you have to be able to afford to move, you have to be able to afford to get a different job. Um, you have to be able to afford housing somewhere else. You got to pay deposits. You got to do all of this stuff. And then, for a lot of people, the places where they can might be able to afford to live, they're made. What if they don't have a car? So now you have to buy a car. 
or, you know, they may need access to public transportation. So it's not easy for everyone to just move out of the city. How are they going to get back and forth to work? You know, and for a lot of people making that drive, especially in California, the gas here sometimes is almost $4 a gallon. Like how you, you end up losing money just to move outside of the city. And it already takes three to four months to find a job, if not longer. So it's just unrealistic. Um, The next question that I wanna ask you both is, um, I mean, I know you mentioned a little bit about low income housing. Uh, This is a question that I wanted to um, answer, especially because there is a housing crisis going on in Dallas, Texas, where I'm from. Um, NPR actually did an entire um, in, like investigation or I guess um, expose piece on the housing industry and in, in Dallas and where it's coming from. A lot of people are actually moving to Dallas from California, um, which I find pretty interesting. And um, because of that, the cost of living is go it's going up. You know, someone could sell their um, it's really privileged people. You know, they could sell their million dollar home. You can buy a three hundred thousand dollar five hundred thousand dollar home in Dallas and pocket a huge exchange and just take a break. So they think that Dallas is this utopia, um, which really annoys me. Um, I mean, it's a utopia for you, but a lot of people are ending up homeless because the houses that they've rented for 20 and 30 years for affordable rent, um, their landlords can't even afford those houses anymore because the property taxes are too high. and then we, at the thing about Texas is we want to do the low, that, that you mentioned, the low income housing solution, but people are actually against it. In these neighborhoods where we want to put this low income housing, they're against it. You know, they kind of associate um, when really it's just affordable housing. Um, but because this country has a history of making very bad affordable housing, um, they, they associate it with this uh, level of Um, a lack of safety or um, crime or poverty. And some people just flat out say, no, I'm paying, you know, $1,500 to live in this neighborhood. I don't think it's fair that someone should be able to come into this neighborhood and um, live here for $800, which is still a lot of money, which blows my mind. Um, Do you think that it's important, um, affordable housing? And um, how would you guys like to see the narrative change around affordable housing? Uh, Porter, you can go first. Um, affordable housing. You said something interesting. You said that uh, people become upset when they learn that uh, they're paying a different amount than someone else. Uh, and that's a point of contention for them. Um, with the weight. Um, housing model is sort of set up now i can understand why they would be upset okay. i don't agree with it but uh get where they're coming from but it is very uh at best you could say elitist uh mentality um because it really shouldn't matter uh what else is going through everyone doesn't make the same money <clears throat> but what people believe is going back to what i said earlier people believe that paying a certain amount gives them something you know, by paying for. Um, so when everything that you are doing uh, in terms of housing in your society is based upon how much money you pay, that's, that's when you become uh, an issue um, 
where, where it's so expensive that people have to work a certain amount or, you know, sell their house or whatever and move. Uh, they want to really decide who lives next door to them. And uh, that has to ever going to change or people's minds ever going to be, you know, uh, shifted to where they don't care about that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, um, I don't, I don't know if that's going to change. I don't, I don't know what the solution to that would be, but I, I, I do, I'm aware of it. I know it's, I know it's a real thing. I try, uh, from a different perspective, I try to choose my neighbors very carefully. <laughs> so, um, that, that's my support from that. Okay. Uh, Casey, what do you think? Um, when it comes to affordable housing, it's like, you know, I really think that there is a power in being a dealist. Um, and I think that ultimately it, it is to say that when we're talking about capitalism as um, like the concept and as a system that is um, uh, sort of forced um, on us and, and to live in, um, I think that it's it's something where we are indoctrinated to believe that we must pay money to occupy space. We must pay money and um, to to take up space and to come to a place to live. Um, and so I think that that's something like that you like you literally have to buy into. And with that being said, it's like when it comes to affordable housing, of course I, I'm totally for it, and I want there to be more affordable housing, ideally, like, I think that housing should be uh, a standard. It should be free. It should be for folks, you know, like for everybody. But um, I have a question with affordable housing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have a question, um, if that's okay. Sure. So just as a follow-up question, who, um, if all of the housing is free, who pays for the labor to build the housing and materials and the um, utilities and all of that? I think for me, it's like you were, we're beginning to go down the path of like talking about like different systems that could be implemented here. And so it's like we could be talking about a system there where it's a barter system. It would be a totally different like economic system in general, but it's just okay. like to get those thoughts kind of going, like going in people's heads because it's like, only with our imagination, I think we're going to be able to implement newer ideas, like newer concepts. What are in this capitalist system? And so, like places like the village, people are spending their time building houses for the homeless right now um, with just community and just like the concept of that this is going to do for people. Um, but like, there is no um really money exchange right there mm-hmm. at this time but i don't think that as a that might not work out um it really has to i mean it's like i don't really feel like i'm the only person who would be able to answer that question um it would be a larger community like communication um a lot of people would believe in something like anarcho-communism where um these things are taken care of um and that there that there's certain things that are taken care of like housing um, food and etc., um, and that, that ultimately is self-autonomous. That people would um, be making like harder agreements, these sorts of things. Um, I'm not so good at talking about the systems. That's not, I'm not <laughs> good at talking about the concepts. 
but I know many people who would be able to step in and say, say those, uh, those answer that question. What, what um, type of, what type of com uh, communism did you say that was? Anarcho-communism. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. And when I say anarchy, I don't mean like chaos. I mean being mm -hmm. self-autonomous. Okay. okay. Having, yeah. Okay. I understand. Um, I, I think it, when it comes to affordable housing, I think that the money is there. I think that we, we need to do a few things to combat inflation. But I think when you consider the um, amount of money that is being wasted by the government, they can subsidize all of these things. Um, the, we spend, our country spends uh, millions, has spent millions of dollars on just like stakes, just like, you know, just the finest stakes in the country for, <laughs> for politicians to eat. Why, why can't that money be used for something more meaningful? We pay the taxes. It's our money. We have taken our time and our labor, labor and paid these taxes. That can those things can be reallocated in ways that are beneficial to us. That's that's why we that's why we pay the taxes, you know. So you know, trillions of dollars in foreign interest, trillions of dollars towards uh, war, trillions of dollars. It's just, I mean, when you look at the numbers, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now the government wants us to pay, or at least the administration wants us to pay for a parade that's going to cost millions of dollars, That's that money could be used towards affordable housing, towards affordable healthcare, towards books, towards keeping things like WIC afloat that help um, reduce the mortality rates for the most uh, vulnerable, marginalized people in this country. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, so let's get more into the social aspects of everything and out and away from housing um, do you guys see a connection between um, socialized fear and the ways in which we are complicit in capitalism? And um, Casey, uh, you can go first. Um, I could could Porter go first? Sorry, I need to think about this a little bit more. Okay, <laughs> Porter, you can you can go first. Yeah, you said. <laughs> And this is the second question, right? Do you see a connection between socialized fear and the ways we are complicit? Yeah. Yes. Right? Okay. Um, I actually was thinking about this. So there are benefits uh, to people who are complicit and who are successful in the capitalist system. Um, if you apply for the job, whatever the job is, uh, you get the job, um, you know, through the company, uh, you make a certain amount of money. Uh, whatever color you are, but even more so, uh, this lifestyle, I think, um, if you're not educated on just how uh, uh, damaging capitalism is, you can feel like uh, you are accomplishing something. Mm. Working for a particular place or company or a brand or a name or whoever, whatever it is. But um, if you're complicit and you uh, find uh, there are benefits to it. There are perceived benefits, uh, short-term benefits. There's money. There are monetary goals you can meet. And if you have um, a family, I, I can see how that can be uh, something that's tempting to someone who, you know, you hear people say all the time, well, you say socialized fear, 
I think they have a fear um, uh, of not simply not being able to for them. And so a lot of people make decisions, uh, taking jobs they don't want, uh, working for people and companies they don't like, simply to, to uh, uh, you know, um, you know, take care of their family. So once they get to that point, um, and people come back around and talk to them and go, hey, how's that job going? I think they have to keep that mask on. And they can't say this was a bad choice. They can't say that because they've done it for how long? 10 years now. And they're going to be there. So they have to pay with it. And they have to tell people that they're, that they're okay with it. And I think that's sort of where that, where that uh, connection is. Yeah. And when you, when you mentioned that people, people, um, they don't realize, it's like, I think that people are so indoctrinated into capitalism. I agree that they don't realize that it's working. There are people who don't even realize that right now they're working four times as hard as they did 15 years ago to acquire the same exact things. They're just thinking that it's sort of this internal lack. Well, I just need to work harder. I just need to work harder. I just need to work harder. You know, they're, they don't notice the fact that they're constantly getting laid off. They don't notice. They just have this idea in the head in, in their heads that if I work hard enough, I can get a million dollars. It's always millionaire status for some reason. If I work hard enough, yeah. I can get a million dollars. They don't realize that they're working. You know, they used to work twice as hard for water, electricity and things like that. And now they're working three and four times as hard for the same things. Well, where does it where does it stop? You know, if you look, if, if somebody t took an idea and brought it to you and said, I want you to invest into in this idea. Um, it has a 99% fail rate, but there's a 1% chance that it could work. So there's a 99% chance that it might fail, but there's a 1% chance that it might work for you. Who would agree with that? And I feel like that's capitalism. You know, no one would agree with that. And yet every day we get up and we look at this imagery and we choose to be a part of this thing. And and for me, I mean, and uh, Porter, you and I talked about it before. Um, um, I, I was really looking forward to hearing your perspective on um, what it feels like to be um, or what it complicity means, because you said, you know, well, it may include some level of enthusiasm. Uh, so I really wanted to know that perspective. For me, um, it's just, like you said, it's just out of necessity. You know, I, I live in a country where I am afraid that if I'm not complicit, that, you know, I can end up in poverty in, in a greater, you know, possibly a greater level of poverty. And I live in a country where if you don't, if you, if as a black person, as a single black woman, if I live in poverty and I have and I don't have certain levels of status in this country, I'm I'm criminalized, you know, especially if I'm taking up space in public spaces. And at that point, it's a means to lose my livelihood and to lose my freedom and to be imprisoned. And then I'm doing free labor. Then I'm a slave. That's that's my fear. You know, a lot of people are like, listen, I, I know it sucks, but I have to do it because and it's just sad that you have to choose your own life or um, basically capitalism and consumerism, which is essentially just an idea. Right. It We only do it because everybody, it's just like money. Money only works because we all agree, agree upon it. We all agree, hey, right. we want to use money now. Capitalism only exists because we all agree to do it. 
Uh, Casey, are, are you ready? I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I think that my themes are along the same exact things that you guys were saying, um, just that it comes to a matter of like accessibility to live and that um, we are also like held up into the fear that we're, we're all replaceable. We're essentially cogs and that, you know, can be used at the disposal of the um, folks who are in the positions of power and um, that those all um, all fluctuate um, to people's privilege and identity um, in a white supremacist capitalist society, also patriarchal for that matter. So it's like all these different things when it comes to our intersectional identities also play into how we interact in the capitalist world and how we interact in the capitalist workspace as well. Um, the types of things that we have to go through within those workspaces, um, just like the microaggressions that people deal with, um, the very real um, sexual assaults that people go through. Um, there are also so many different things that keep us in fear that happen within the culture that um, uh, of violence that uh, make capitalism even more prevalent in our lives and even more something that we have to buy into. Um, because in order to get that therapy, you need to go back to work and, and um, and make money to, to get help mm -hmm. in order to to uh, get food on the table for your kids. These are all different things that um, play into why we are, um, you know, uh, to me, like, it's not complicit. It's just you're oppressed, uh, being oppressed mm -hmm. into, um, into this system. Um, and so it's like, and even when you're like, say, even when you're on salary, you know, you're, you're forced, you're constantly forced to thinking of like working more and more, as you said, Kendrana, you know, um, pretty much like doing the jobs of like three or more people, um, and how like this illusion of upward mobility when really it's just a game of privilege for the most part, um, hmm. and how much money your family already has. So... That's it's pretty much what you guys were saying for sure. There is definitely a socialized fear. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you mentioned therapy and healthcare. A lot of times it's your job that is the thing that's just making you sick. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, the next thing I want to get into. Um, so I was having a conversation with someone one time, and they told me that your FICO credit credit score is actually a reflection of your character. And a lot of, especially when it comes to employment, a lot of um, organizations feel this way. And now we're getting into this realm of social credit where, um, you know, not only is are your financials and your mode of living considered a um, mark of your character, but also the perceptions of others that you'll have a social credit score and, you know, people can look at you and and, and basically you know, say, well, this person is trustworthy because look at how everyone perceives them, which is just, it's totally not intersectional at all. Um, so um, I'd like to know, how do you feel um, about how our culture, culture associates socioeconomic standards um, and status with inherent goodness and badness? And where do you think that comes from? But more uh, more specifically, how do you feel about that? You know that how we associate your social your socioeconomic status with um, your character. Um, uh, Porter, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I, I really I mean I I think it's wrong. Uh, I just I don't like the word right or wrong, but uh, it feels wrong. And um, 
it seems unfair based on uh, uh, everything I know and understand about uh, how you accumulate wealth in this country or in this world, I guess I should say. And uh, that, you know, singles out, you know, large groups and, you know, a group of people when you consider uh, how people view you when you don't have money, you know, as well, that's a lot of people here, you know, they're, you're just, it, it almost is, it's not really about the money. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not about what you, it's more about, let's see how to uh, continually step on the neck of certain people and, and then also make them feel bad about it. Um, and, you know, we can get into all the different ways that that happens, but, you know, we're all very smart. We all know what those things look like and what they mean. Um, I just, and I don't, I don't mean to be like such a, I just, I've seen it for so long, I wonder, you know, what it would take to change um, feeling. I guess, I think it starts with, you know, whoever the next generation of kids are. It might be too late for us to not feel that way anymore. But um, if you have children or if you have young kids, you have to let them know that their uh, status or standing in their community or in their environmental space or whatever is not tied to, um, how much money the family has. And even if you do have a lot of money, um, you shouldn't try and perpetuate this, this idea, you know, because it is harmful and it is wrong. I think, I'm sorry. No, yeah, that's pretty much okay. pretty good. I, I think that, I mean, when you look at, for example, when you look at the uh, monarchy, um, you know, we didn't used to have this illusion of democracy or whatever. Um, we, mm -hmm. you know, it was all kings and queens. It was very gendered and, it, you know, it was very, very, um, the cast and the classes were very clear. And I think that things are a lot better than they were. Um, but uh, people thought that the monarchy was going to be forever. It was so huge. It was so massive. There was no way to top, topple it. People thought, well, we just have a king and, and that's how it's going to be. And now in a lot of places, those roles are mostly ceremonial. So I think I think it's possible to get rid of those things. And I think we are headed in that direction. Um, there's a lot that we need to work on. Um, but I, I, I do think it's I think it is um, possible. And I think that there are things that we can start doing now. I think that if some major things happen, it could happen in our lifetime. I don't know. Um, Casey, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, boy, what a scenario. Um, <laughs> this reminds me of this one Black Mirror episode where there like is an app where everybody like is voting on each other. Oh, and yes. like, it tells you where your social, yeah, and, like <laughs> positioning is, and it gives you like all these privileges depending on where you are. But yeah, it's it's very similar to that, that we already have that going on in our culture. Um, and I think that it's inherently classist and racist um, and um, and that it ultimately is used to make people hate themselves, actually. And that is totally used for capitalist gain because it forces people into consumers. When you hate yourself and there's all these products and these, these advertising and they're telling you like, yeah, you're not good enough until you have this, you know, you're not good enough until you have this, 
and do people are already at this very like low self-esteem level buy into that a lot more um and then it sort of like you know perpetuates the capitalist system that we're all functioning in um when we are feeling have to buy something to amplify ourselves so i think that kendra you're absolutely right that we are seeing changes in people's perspectives we are seeing people becoming more and more aware of this and that is, especially in the intersectional feminist community, um, especially led by mostly women of color, um, the, the self-love and empowerment movement, um, the body positive movement, all these different things that are forcing people to look at themselves and say, hey, you should love yourself. You, 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 like, you're such an amazing human being. There's so much more to you than what this system is telling you. You know, um, there's so much more to you than your any numbers that could ever be put on you, any labels that are placed on you. You get to decide what those labels are. You get to decide what you, how you want to interact in this world and who you are in this world. Um, don't don't let this like this culture of violence and um, oppression give you your names. Um, so I think that with more empowerment like that, mm -hmm. um, we're going to see uh, people rising up. And, and have finding their voices and speaking out more so than we than we we have. I mean, we already do have many leaders in our past and present, um, but I think that people today um, are becoming even more leaders every single day. And I was just listening to the um, the Black Panther album where there's that one "Pray for Me." And Ken, Ken Kendrick Lamar is talking about how he's like, you know, looking for heroes. And then he looks in the mirror and like, he's like, that's, that's the hero. And I, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we should totally look in the mirror and see ourselves as participants in, um, in ending the oppression that we face. Um, I'm glad that you, we have about 10 minutes left here. I'm glad that you um, brought up Black Mirror. Um, because I'd like to talk a little bit about social media, if that's okay. Um, you, you tied it to consumerism. Um, in the age of social media, and you can broaden this to just talk about your relationships in general, but in what ways have you seen capitalism shape our relationships and the ways that we um, perceive and interact with each other? Um, uh, Casey, would you like to start with that one? Sure. Can you read that question one more time? I'm having trouble finding it. Okay. Um, I said, in the age of social media, in what ways have you seen capitalism shape our relationships and the, uh, the way that we view ourselves and each other? Okay. Um, man, I would say for better and for worse, if you're okay. not careful. Um, um, because with social media, I would have never, without social media, I probably might not have ever met you. And, you know, that's how we connected <laughs> through Instagram. Um, and so um, there is like a, a community. Uh, and there's also, like I said, the, the same community of inner feminism where there's a lot of empowerment going on in terms of social media. But at the same time, it's used to exploit people. You know, all the, all the things that we put on social media can be used against us. A lot of these things are not private any longer. They're being stored in databases and companies can buy that information and sell things to you more directly. Um, NSA can buy that information. Um, the, our government can buy that information. These things can be used against you in courts as well if, they, if you, you know, ever say something. 
um, on your uh, a feed that might be questionable. This this could this is really dangerous because it could potentially lead to things like you going against the president. You have a very you know um, distinctly uh, entitled and um, uh, just incredibly violent president um, right now. And I think that you know like it's not so far off to think that you know something like tyranny could be used against people you know um and like i'm there's this one really great ted talk and i'll kind of wrap it up here in terms of like the the dangerous side of it it's like well yes there's community but there's also this other side of like almost everybody has um a cell phone of some kind and all of our cell phones collect data and when we go to protests and we all have those cell phones together the, the government has a map of who is talking to who, what communities are interacting with what communities. And when they have a map of that, it's very easy. We have a person who is um, a tyrant um, to take that information and use it against people um, like like Hitler did with the Shadi, uh, which was an under, uh, which was um, a secret police force that would go into people's houses and kill them or take them away. What was um, the name to, of the police force? Camps. Huh? What was the name of the police force? The Stasi. Yeah, it, it's a German police force. Um, and, you know, if people, if the Stasi saw people, like who, everybody who went to the Berlin Wall to break down the Berlin Wall, um, you know, that could have been looking at people's cell phones and who was there. That could have been potentially really dangerous for a lot of people who um, interacted in that. So it's like it's putting people's lives on the line through using these relationships, these, these social media um, relationships. So there's like a complacency when we interact in these communities, but there's also such a gift where we are able to communicate with people all over the world in, you know, split amount, like, you know, split second. And um, so it's a really, mm -hmm. it's both. <laughs> I think it, I, I, I think it definitely does commodify people and it also commodifies our relationships because now instead of just meeting people, um, a lot of people have taken that, especially people who aren't necessarily thinking from a capitalistic standpoint, they've kind of placed a value on people based on their social mm -hmm. capital. And um, they pursue relationships based on how they can commodify that person and what they can get out of that relationship and how socially benefit beneficial it is in terms it, for them um, in terms of their social caste. Uh, Porter, um, could you answer that question as well, please? Um, I, I have some similar thoughts on it. I, I do believe that um, uh, social media is a great tool um, in terms of how we sort of interact and collaborate with uh, like-minded or uh, people who are interested in some of the same things that we are. Um, but in terms of how we view ourselves, I, I think it's really kind of warps that image, self-image for some people. It, it, it gives almost like a false value in some ways because there are things that um, we sort of decide like this means this person is important. It's like, oh, you have uh, 10,000 followers. Oh, so you're important. Oh, you have, you know, many people, you know, so these aren't real things because unless you can go out into the real world and still function uh, at, a, at a high level, you know, um, it really doesn't mean anything. Um, 
it exists. It's it's an interaction still, but can't hold on to um, what's real, and you just start to live live off of that sort of. Uh, um, I don't want to call it false because it is it is cool when people like your photos. It is cool when people you know do stuff like that. It's not false, but it's. I'm glad you said that. Uh, we kind of have to remember that um, when we go to parties, when we go out and we meet people, we need to steal ourselves and not the self we think we're supposed to be. Uh, but I think it's a great, I think social media is a great networking tool. Obviously, we're, this is possible because of social media. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit old school. I like, I like to meet people in person and I like to... If you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Uh, 32. Okay. Um, Casey, how old are you? I'm 24. Okay. I'm, I'm 27. I just turned 27 yesterday. Okay, so for this next part, I wanted to read a quote from Bell Hooks. That's uh, B E L L Hooks, H O O K S. Um, so, um, and this talks a little bit about the next question, um, in a culture which holds the two parent patriarchal family in a higher esteem than any other arrangement, all children feel emotionally insecure when their family does not measure up to the standard. Um, and we've talked a little bit about those standards. Um, so my next question is about the four person, um, family unit and the two person sort of typically heterosexual two-person family ideal. Um, do you think that that's a, a capitalist idea? Um, and who benefits from that? And you talked about families a little bit. Actually, I, I have some thoughts on that. I, I would like to start if that's okay. Um, this was a hard yeah, question. Ahead. It was a hard question for me. It was a hard question for me, especially as a person of color um, because I think that families have been very beneficial to our community. And I think it has a lot to do with, uh, where we come from, um, you know, and who we are from an anthropological, um, perspective. Um, I think it's sort of how we, um, stay connected and empower each other. And it's definitely important in, um, such a capitalist system and, um, a system where there's so much uh, state violence and, um, we're constantly dealing with these um, attacks in our daily lives. It's it's really great to have a sense of community and have a family where people are looking out for each other and uplifting each other and a place to go when things get rough. So I think that I think that it, that is very important. At the same time, and it's also a great way. Um, and we talked a lot about wealth in the last episode, but it can also be a really great way to compile and build wealth and create independence within our communities which is like, it takes a balance. Um, it, it is part of a balance. Yes, capitalism is, um, you know, it has not been great for our communities. At the same time, we still need to survive. And families and close-lit neighborhoods have been a means in the past, at least from what I've experienced as a person of color. Um, also, um, um, you know, from where we come from, from a tribal aspect, um, there were there wasn't just a four person or a two person family 
the whole community was the family. Everyone felt things together. Um, you know, people definitely tried not to leave people behind. Everyone worked and moved together. There was an element of patriarchy, um, of course, but um, there, there also was a sense of togetherness and everyone, um, to an extent, was a little bit safer that way. Whereas now, you know, people, there's more division. There's, there's even division within neighborhoods. There are divisions with, within families. Everyone's on their own. And can you really do it on your own when you are getting a fourth of uh, what's required from the society that you live in? Um, can you really have an equal stake that way? I, I don't know. Um, Porter, what are your thoughts on that? On the original question? I, I, I think um, with the four person, the nuclear family, you say, well, there's two things. Is it a capitalist ideal and who benefits from it? So yes, it is a capitalist ideal and it's perpetuated, you know, uh, we see it in film. And I specifically, uh, there's a scene in the movie, uh, I don't remember, but I believe it's Alec Baldwin talking. Oh, it's The Departed. Alec is talking to Matt Damon. And he says, as he's moving up through the police ranks, they're playing golf, and he says, why don't you get married? Uh, start a fan. It's, it's just, give people this image. Even if you're not happy, just do it. Do it so that people will like you. Do it so that you can produce, do it so that you'll have kids, do it so that you'll have more people to pay for, do it so that you'll have more things that you'll need to buy. Um, I mean, that's, it's not fine, but it, under the capitalist, uh, uh, that's fine. The problem comes in when you other, you know, different styles or different types of families that don't necessarily meet that. Um, because even if, uh, uh, families don't line up as a mother and a father, you know, you know, two and a half kids or whatever, and they still subscribe to the capitalist idea, they're not the same. They're still not viewed as being quite on that equal footing. There's still a, uh, a pecking order as it would be. It's no, a mother and a father, you know, even if you are a mother and a father and a, you know, two kids, whatever, well then, oh, well, what color are you? Because now you're still not quite. Um, so it's a capitalist idea. It's a, it's a, so this goes back to like what I was saying earlier, where um, you can ascend and you can do things, you can follow all the rules, and you can work three or four or five times hard, and it's still not going to mean anything because you're still not going to be considered uh, to be an uh, even footing. Now, who benefits from it? Well, uh, the people who fully believe into this, fully believe in, in it, and are, you know. Are, are in are in power uh, of the system. So, who started the system? Who is it made for? Who is it benefiting now? Who's always benefited from it? That's that doesn't change. Um, the entire and you know, like Casey said earlier, I don't know what the alternative is. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to implement that. But I know that this one is not working. I know who it is, and I've I've seen it my whole life. I no longer uh, subscribe to the I don't think I ever did um, to the nine to five. The the I never thought, even when I was working nine to five when I was doing desk jobs and all that. I never thought about getting and doing all these things because it just seemed like that wasn't for me. Uh, whatever reason, because I'm creative or because I'm, I'm you know I'm not you know white and so I didn't think like I didn't see the the I didn't see what I you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I guess that's what we're all doing now is looking for an alternative because this does this isn't this doesn't benefit benefit us. This isn't for us. The system wasn't made with us in mind. Mm -hmm. Um uh Casey, can you answer that question as well? Sure. Um you know, so again, uh similar themes as y'all. Um I you know, I think that this like essentially started in the Industrial Revolution. Um, where we started seeing families become a lot more nuclear um, and uh, that this was, you know, no longer about the community, you know, um, trying to focus on getting everybody else in the community together and um, in a place of wellness, but it became like, okay, I can no longer focus on the community. I have to focus on just just my fam my own family so it it really um segregates people from the larger community and it also um you know kind of cuts ties and creates a mentality of like i'm fighting for myself and i'm fighting for what's mine and associating like only as like you know our family dynamics like this totally changes our family dynamics and what we understand as family as like only the people who are living under the same roof as us when um, family can be so much more confident and we have all these different ideas of like what this perfect family looks like and our family doesn't look like what this perfect family looks like it also makes us feel like something's wrong with us yet again mm -hmm. um so um I do think that these sorts of ideas are incredibly toxic, not not necessarily that if you're living in this family and it's functioning for you and you have a good family and whatever, like that's great, you know, it's nothing against that, but it's just to say that like having this be an ideal, um, having there be a hierarchy of our understanding of how families and those relationships go about, um, that's what creates another form of oppression um, for people um, living in this capitalist society So um, and system. Um, I do think that it does in turn work uh, for the benefit of capitalism um, because when people are no longer working as communities, then we have to buy things in order mm -hmm. to to sort of sustain our livelihoods. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that, you know, those all play very important roles and there's definitely some things that I'm not uncovering here for sure, but I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and taxes. And taxes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> families and marriage yeah, help with, they help with that taxation deal, don't they? Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I think this is a good um, stopping point. I just have one more question for both of you. Um, I know we didn't get to, to everything and I, I didn't think we were, but I do appreciate you both for just joining me to have this discussion. Um, moving forward, I, I really believe in everyday actions um because it, it is so complex and you know all we can do is just try to try to undo some of these things and try to heal ourselves from these things and, and try to make things e a little bit easier for ourselves and the other people around us um that's how we're really going to get somewhere um how do you both um like to heal yourselves from the impact of socioeconomic oppression. Um, uh, Casey, could you go first, please? Um, sure. Um, I think that as an artist, art is a huge part of um, my healing process, um, self-love, but um, for me, it's more so like I, I heal 
every time I speak my truth and speak my message and um, especially do so uh, art. Um, for example, like I just had a burlesque show where um, at the end of it, I made a very distinct uh, message saying, stop the techie, take go. I was like this little sex robot who is literally being controlled by a techie who's sitting behind me, who is actually my husband, who's, you know, <laughs> just doing the whole thing. And I wanted to toy with the idea that techies and this tech industry has an uh, influence on how people manipulate and use their bodies where they keep their space. Um, and so just getting that message out there felt like a, a form of healing for me. Um, I feel like, you know, um, that healing comes in many different ways and, uh, and looks like, like many different things, but um, also communicating with my um or being with my community, um, creating a larger community, having conversations like this, um, it, are, are, are all ultimately healing, like creating, you know, making sure that we're feeling validated in, in our oppression and the experiences that we're through, um, whether they be good or bad or everything in between. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's one of my answers for that. Yes. Um, and, uh, Porter. Um, so the question is, how do you like to heal yourself from the impact of so social media? Yes. Um, I don't, well. <laughs> I mean, be honest, be honest. <laughs> be honest. I don't know how to specific. I guess my thing is to understand. So I first have to understand. So like I draw and stuff, but I'm not really thinking about anything like that. Like for me, it's always going to be writing. That's going to be the first thing that I, that I do because... Um, every thing that happens during the day, I, I don't always understand it. I don't always know exactly why something happened, but I try to understand just by really simply and just at a base level, writing down what happened. And um, usually I can find uh, something in there. When I read it and look at it and say it out loud, I can find the answer to, to what happened. So if I had a disagreement with someone, if I you know, got into an argument with someone I don't really know, like if I just simply write down the situation and then know a little bit more about them, uh, I can go back and, and try and figure that out. And so I guess what ends up happening is it's not just for me, but it's also uh, uh, the other person. In terms of dealing with uh, socioeconomic oppression I means the same sort of thing it's like well if I'm going and I'm applying for a job and I don't get it or like you know something happens at work or whatever um, writing about it helps the most because uh, I'm able to digest it because to me honestly the only way I can ever look at the, the world that I live in is in a, is from a really surreal standpoint it doesn't make sense to me so it's imperative that I sit down, not every day, but every couple days, you know, you build stuff and you go, wow, this is crazy. I need to figure out. And I'll go and I'll start writing it down. And I'll go, okay, okay. It's good and bad because it, what it leads to is sort of accepting these circumstances, you know, because I've written them down. They're real. So, um, but it, it does help. It does help to uh, categorize what's going on. I guess that's my answer. Okay, okay. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to answer this question as well. 
Um, and I actually wrote my response down because um, things are not the easiest right now. So it, it is something that I feel a lot just on a daily basis, just working for a corporation and just trying to um, navigate all of this as a um, single dark skinned black woman, um, you know, um, a lot of things I do on my own. So it's definitely like, uh, it just takes a daily courage. It does. Um, and some days are better than others. Um, so I wouldn't say that I'm healed um, at all right now. Um, and I think that I won't necessarily be until I can, and I, and I work hard to try to do this, but until I can really, really get into the work on my passions, which is, uh, working independently, you know, creating a safe space for myself where I can help others and make art and write as well. Um, I, 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 right now I'm putting a lot of energy into getting myself in that position and start that healing uh, process. And a big part of that is healing others. Um, so I try to do things like this and bring th people together and work on these different projects. Um, I don't have a lot of free time, but you know, I try to make them happen anyway and have those conversations. Um, I'm also, um, part of that healing others means giving to people when I can and they ask, especially, I mean, honestly, if it's a black or brown girl, and this happens to me, especially now that I moved out here, people will come to me and be like, I really need some groceries. And I'm like, okay, look, if I have it, you know, let me see what I can do. Um, because I do think that we, we, definitely have to support each other you know especially if it's a brown girl it's like damn like they stole their land like <laughs> part of the reason why a lot of people are in the position that they are is because you know something was taken from them or you know they're they're trying to navigate these oppressions um also i'm trying to well i am actively learning some specialized skills for my day job um because you know, even though my job is not glamorous, I want to go back and I want to teach those skills to people and just try to help them. Uh, for me, um, if it wasn't for the field that I work in, I would probably still be working retail and making minimum wage. Um, so for those people who, you know, want to try to navigate, you know, what is in front of us, I, I would like to be able to offer some services and help teach people specialized skills so they can go out and they can do work and they can become independent within that work. Um, mm -hmm. So those are just uh, two, two of the bigger ways. Um, you know, like I said, I'm from a small town in Oklahoma. So my family is always like, you need to learn how to, you know, raise your own farm and grow vegetables and do all of this. So hopefully I'll be able to learn how to do that soon. So that I can not only feed myself, but I can feed others in that way. And, you know, if shit hits the fan around here, I know how to grow my own sustenance. <laughs> so those are the ways. Those are the yes. ways that. And if you need any trauma counselors, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ways that I try to do it every day. Um, I Again, I want to thank you both for joining me. Um, how can everybody find you um, online? Um, Michael, how can everyone find you online? What are you working on? Um... Uh, let's see, how can people find me? On Instagram, I am, it's just my name, so it's my full name. It's Michael Lorenzo Porter. And then, and I, yeah, my email is the same. I, well, I guess maybe I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> and then on Twitter, it's Porter underscore hashtag. 
Okay. Uh, I'm not cutting that out because I'm not that advanced with editing. Okay. So <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's fine. I, I have a spam folder. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Casey, where can everyone find you? <laughs> Um, well, if you'd like to follow my art and my burlesque um, life, I my burlesque name is Angsty Andy um, because I am androgynous, so I go by they, them pronouns, um, and I'd like to be more representative of the non-binary community that um, also likes to take their clothes off in an artistic way. Um, <laughs> um, so that's uh, Angsty Andy Burlesque, and Andy is spelled with A-N-D-Y. Um, and then if you want to find my personal where I talk about trauma and um, specifically around rape crisis counseling and um, sexual education and just intersectional stuff that goes on in day-to-day -day life, um, that's uh, 12-1-2 a.m. riot. Um, but it's a 1-2 a.m. underscore riot. Awesome. And um, I can be found everywhere at... Um, at Kendriana Speaks, um, at uh, Kendriana.Speaks on Instagram and at Kendriana Speaks on Twitter. Uh, the next um, installment will be hopefully coming in the next couple of weeks um, if, if I can get everyone scheduled and, and um, you know, get everyone in at the same time. Um, but that'll be more of a, um, a less, a, a little bit of a, a lesser format where I'll get to talk to people who live outside of the U.S. and and get their perspectives on capitalism as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. Again, thank you so much, and um, I appreciate you. Um, you letting me uh, sit down and have this conversation with you. Hey, this is Kendriana. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that a few things have changed since I initially recorded these interviews earlier this year. I now have a website that's kendriana.com. You can go there to learn more about my work as a speaker, writer, and artist. And also, I get links and access to all of my work on the internet across platforms and the work that I do IRL. Uh, also, I now have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash kendriana. So if you enjoyed this podcast, and you'd like to support so that I can make more like them in the coming months and years, uh, check my workout at patreon.com slash Kendriana. I have a lot of really cool benefits for my patrons. And also I share a lot of really awesome exclusive work there. Uh, thank you so much for your support and for listening.